If you turn to Colossians chapter number 3, you'll see in the closing verses, there are various words given, various injunctions for wives and husbands, but also for children and for parents. In verse 20, it says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. The teaching here in this passage refers to harmony in the church as well as holiness in the heart and life. But it also deals with the subject, as we noted last Lord's Day, of honour in the home. We've called this portion, particularly the closing words from verse 18, Paul's ideal home exhibition. We have spoken about the husband and wife relationship. The Lord says some things here that are actually a repetition of what he says in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. It's a far fuller treatment in Ephesians 5, by the way. Uh, There's a greater amount of material there. But basically, it's speaking about how a home is to be properly ordered when the husband loves his wife and when the wife respects or reverences her husband. Now we go on from there to look at the parent-child relationship. When we look at this portion, we see that It's obviously dealing with the entire family. The husband, the wife, the children. But there's a two-sided focus here. There's a word for parents and there's a word for children. In short, we have before us here the Christian family. And as I've often said The Christian life is exactly that. It's a life to be lived. It's not just a profession where we say in answer to the question, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. There's a life to be lived. The Christian life, we call it. And those Christian lives are lived in the world. They're lived in the church. But first of all, and I would say most Significantly of all, they're lived in our homes. We live in homes with our families. We operate as believers in the church. And then there's our relationship more broadly to the world. But our domestic relationships, the relationship between husband and wife, between father and children, between mother and children, between children and mother and father, These are really important. They're so important that the Lord speaks about them in numerous places in the Bible. Not just here in Colossians 3, but also in Ephesians chapter 6 and in many of the Proverbs, as we shall note later. Our domestic relationships are so vitally important. God wants our homes to be right. I say Paul is writing about the ideal home. 
And it would be nice if we all had ideal homes. But we're sinful people. We don't always get everything right. In fact, we often get things wrong. That includes how parents treat children, how children treat parents, how husbands treat wives, how wives treat husbands. But God does have a plan for the right ordering of our homes. God has a plan for our families. By the way, just to reiterate what I've said oftentimes before, the family is the bedrock of society. The first thing that God created way back then in the Garden of Eden was a family. The first man was Adam, the first woman was Eve. God blessed them with children. They were fruitful, they multiplied, they had sons, perhaps twins, Cain and Abel. They had another son, Seth. But then if you read on in the scripture, in the early chapters of Genesis, you will discover that they also had other sons and daughters. It was a family. The family is the bedrock of society and everything that is happening in our world today practically in terms of social policy is tantamount to an attack on God's order for the family. All this business of LGBTQI, whatever I call it, the I call them the alphabet people. All that stuff is an attack on God's order. I don't hesitate to say it. I just say it flat out. It's an attack on God's plan. Of course, in connection with that, now you have what's called transgenderism, which is actually an oxymoron, because there's no such thing as transgenderism. You cannot change your gender. You cannot change from being a man to being a woman. You cannot change from being a woman to a man. You can be a dude in a dress. You can be a woman in men's clothing. And you can have all sorts of surgeries performed to make you look like a woman and take all sorts of products that might make you feel like a woman when you are a biological man. But you will never, if you're a man, ever become a woman. Ever. Same as true for a woman trying to become a man. It will never happen. But all that stuff is an attack on God's order. In the beginning, God made the male and female and God established the family as the bedrock of society. And once that goes by the board, society crumbles. And it's happening all around us. Someone has used the term that our country is going to hell in a handbasket. And it's hard to disagree with that. And it's because God's order has been forsaken. For whatever reason. But we know ultimately what lies behind all of this. It is a wicked being called the devil. That's who's behind it. He's the one who's impelling it. He's the one who is promoting it. Satan himself. It's always been his objective to destroy God's order. 
And that's true also of family matters. But as we look at this portion, there are several things that are brought before us. Two in particular that I think we should note. There is, first of all, the reverence for parents that is commanded of children. And then there is, secondly, the responsibility of parents concerning their children. This is a two-sided coin. We're going to deal with the first of those. Let's look at verse 20 of Colossians 3. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. The reverence that there must be for parents is something that is commanded not merely by society, but by God himself. It's well-pleasing unto the Lord. And if you keep your finger there and go back to the book of Ephesians, you'll see in chapter 6 of Ephesians, the first three verses, reminiscent of what we find in Colossians 3. It says, Ephesians 6 verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's the right thing. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Now before I say anything else, let me just point out that those people who try to tell you that the Ten Commandments have nothing to do with Christians in the New Testament have a real problem here. Because Ephesians 6 verse 2 in parenthesis tells us that honour thy father and mother is the first commandment with promise. It's not advice. It's not mere advice. It's a commandment. It's something that God has established, of course, in the original commandments. In Exodus 20, you'll see that it's the fifth commandment. But the Lord calls it here the first commandment with promise. That is to say, there is a promise connected with it and annexed to it. And that promise is not just for long life, but for a greater quality of life. And that would be my contention that that is the main meaning behind it. Because I've heard people say, well, I knew people who were good to their parents and they didn't live long. So, the Bible is not correct when it says that thou mayest live long on the earth. It's not really talking, strictly speaking, about the length of time as the quality of that time. What God is saying is there's a blessing for those who treat their parents properly. Now, in general, submission to authority is something of a foreign concept to many people today, isn't it? This is an age of great lawlessness, rebellion. Nobody wants anybody to tell them what to do. We see this manifested all the time in people claiming this right and that right and the other right. They're marching for rights all the time. I have the right to say this. I have the right to do that. Reminds me of the days of the judges when the Bible tells us right there in that book that 
In those days, in the days of the judges, there was no king in the land. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's Judges chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. No authority. Nobody to make laws. Nobody on the throne. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Aren't we living in a day like that? An age of rebellion and lawlessness. And this, of course, comes naturally to men because men by nature are rebels. We all know this by our own experience. We're all rebels at heart. But that rebellion is manifested from the very earliest days of childhood, right from the start. And anyone who is a parent who doesn't look at their children through rose-tinted spectacles will agree with this. The Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. No. You've heard that? You hear that from the very earliest time in a child's life. One of the first words that they're able to say. No. Mommy wants you to do this. Daddy wants you to do this. No. You know what that is? That's rebellion. That's rebellion, and it needs to be taken out of them. And there is a rod of correction that can be applied to the seat of learning. It helps to drive that away. Rebellion is manifested really early. And the Word of God tells us this in a number of places. Let's think of this verse, uh, Psalm 58, verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. Think of that. From the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Little Johnny, in whose mouth butter wouldn't melt, is a little sinner. He's a little rebel. He wants his own way, and he'll get his own way if he can possibly manage it. And the same is true for little Susie too, or whatever name she has. Do you know that disobedience to parents is a mark of a day of apostasy? You see this in Scripture. One of the vices of paganism was exactly that. Romans chapter 1 verse 30 identifies it. Disobedience to parents. That's the term that's used there. Backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Disobedient to parents. There it is. Rebellion. And yet the Bible teaches us that reverence for parents is a command. But you see, it is a feature of days of apostasy. It's a feature of days of increasing iniquity and lawlessness. Especially will we find that to be so in the last of the last days. Look at what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
2 Timothy chapter number 3. The first two verses. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, and so on. See that right in the middle of all that? Disobedient to parents. Disregard for authority begins in the heart, of course. But that disregard for authority will flourish and grow in the home if it's not curbed and checked by parental discipline and training. Let's think about this. The reverence for parents commanded of children. This is God's precept for obedience. I've referred to this already. It's a commandment. It's a commandment. It's what God commands. It's a divine precept. We go back to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. You see, in childhood, our parents are given to us by God in place of God. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying by that. Our parents are not God. We're not to worship our parents. But when I say they're given to us in place of God, what I mean is God himself is in heaven, but he's given us a position on earth in the family under authority. So that the child in this particular sense is not equal to his parents. That's something the world doesn't understand today. They talk about children's rights. And of course children do have rights. The first right they have is the right to life. That's right. The right to life. That's the first right that a child has. I'm always struck by these do-gooders who want to talk about terrible things that happen to children in their infancy or maybe their nine or ten little children being shot by some mad person. And all these people come out of the woodwork making all sorts of complaints about that, how that we need to have gun control in the country. The same people believe in abortion on demand. The same people have no problem butchering millions of babies every day of the week. Is that hypocrisy or what? The first right that a child has is the right to life. Someone said, I forget who it was, the most dangerous place for a child in America is in the womb of its mother. It's a crying shame. So children have a right to live. But once they have that right to live and they're brought into the world by birth, they are under authority. They have to learn submission. They have to learn obedience. When mom says to obey, she means to obey. When dad says do this, he means do this. And the problem with those children who do not obey their parents, when they're young, they're not going to obey God either. 
When they're older, they will not want to obey God if they don't obey their parents. But obedience is, of course, a divine requirement. It's the first commandment, not advice. It's a commandment with promise. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. God's precept for obedience. And then there's God's pleasure in obedience. Note how Paul puts this. This obedience that he talks about is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Colossians 3 verse 20. It's well-pleasing unto the Lord. Shouldn't we want to please the Lord? Even as children, I would say that too, young children. In the home of their Christian parents. Don't you want to please the Lord? Well, you do that by coming under the authority of your parents. It's an interesting thing to note the Greek word that underlies obedience here, or obey. The word obey in the original language is a compound word. That means it's made up of more than one word. It's just one small word in English, O-B-E-Y. But it's made up of two words in the Greek, which literally means to listen under. To obey, to listen under. That brings before us two thoughts, listening to and submitting to. Obey. Listen, take heed, and obey. Or come under. Or submit to. And God's pleased with that. And obviously if he's pleased with that. He's displeased with the opposite. He's displeased with rebellion and disobedience. See it's for the benefit and blessing of a child. That he is given this commandment by God. Some people have this awful notion that. God wants to be a spoiled sport. God wants to destroy all your fun. But notice here what the Bible says. The commandment is that it may be well with thee. You see that in Ephesians chapter 6. That it may be well with thee. Do you want things to go well? Be obedient to your parents. Oh, how sad is the life of the rebel. The Bible says the way of a transgressor is hard. And it's hard for those who don't want to come under any sort of authority to make it in any meaningful sense in this world. Because they're going to come up against authority sometime and when they say no, it's going to have great consequences in a negative way for them. Many of one has ended up in jail because they were unwilling to obey their parents. It's not well with them. But a child who loves the Lord will want to obey because he wants to please the Lord. That's what it's all about. It's not just pleasing your parents, it's pleasing the Lord. I was a little kid, I'll give you a story from my childhood. <clears throat> my grandfather lived with us and he smoked. And now my parents didn't like him smoking, but 
That was his, one of his vices. He smoked. And as a little boy, I think I might have been about six years of age, I got really curious about my grandfather's cigarettes. And so I made my way into his bedroom and I found a packet of his favourite cigarettes. And I took them out to the backyard along with a little book of matches. And I lit the cigarette. I was six years old. My mother looked out the back and she was horrified to see me sitting on a tree stump talking to the neighbour across the hedge smoking a cigarette. Now, she almost cracked up laughing at the, at, the, at the view of it. It was very funny in one way, but she was horrified at the same time. I knew it was wrong, and I never did it again. But I remember very distinctly being really, really concerned that day. After my mother told me off, whatever she did by way of discipline, she said to me, wait till your dad gets home. Oh, well, that meant I had to wait all day until <clears throat> the evening until he got home from the bakery that he worked in. And I thought, I'm in for it now. I'm in trouble. You know what my dad did? Unusual for him, I must say. He sat me down on a chair. And he said to me, son, what do you think the Lord Jesus thought about that? What do you think Jesus would think of that? A little boy taking his grandfather's cigarettes, which first of all is stealing, but then smoking, which you know is not good for your body. What do you think the Lord Jesus would, would think of that? Well, I've got to tell you, that broke my heart. That smashed my heart to pieces. And my dad did not, as I remember it, physically discipline me that day, but I was so broken and so hurt that I thought, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to do that again. Because the whole concept of pleasing the Lord was brought before me in a very powerful way. You see, obedience to God's precepts is always well-pleasing to Him, but it's also beneficial to ourselves. We sang it earlier tonight, didn't we? When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. It's good for us. It's good for us to obey. And an important point that must be made here as well when we think about this, that God has pleasure in our obedience to the commandment. That is a commandment, the fifth commandment, that's to be kept as long as our parents are alive. You don't suddenly get a pass when you get to be 18 or 21 and say, all of a sudden, I don't need to worry about what my parents think. I don't have to pay any regard to my parents. The Bible doesn't say children who are of a certain age are to come under the authority of their parents and obey their parents. When your parents are your parents, they are your parents for as long as they live. Now, of course, the dynamic changes in your life. When you meet someone and you get married and you set up your own home, you're not under their immediate jurisdiction. However, they're still your parents. And you're not released from the obligation to honor them and to reverence them and to care for them as long as they live. 
And if they do live long enough, they'll probably end up being like children. And we might even have to change diapers. Because that's often what happens. But we're to care for them, we're to love them. This is what God is pleased with. And it brings before us as well this great commandment, God's pattern of obedience. And what is that? Well, it's more likely that we should say, who is that? God's pattern for parental obedience, for the obedience of children, is the Lord Jesus Christ during the days of his flesh. I love what it says in Luke chapter 2. There's an incident when Jesus had gotten to be 12 years of age, and for the first time he was able to join Joseph and Mary, his biological mother, but his earthly guardian, who was not his biological father, Joseph. Joseph was his parent, though, in the sense that he was married to Mary. Jesus was under their jurisdiction. We find in Luke chapter 2 that they're going up to Jerusalem at the feast of the Passover. The Lord was 12 years old, and he went up to Jerusalem with them. And while they were there, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. They went to travel back home without him. As far as they were concerned, he was following along behind them. He was in the crowd, but he wasn't. He was in the temple, hearing and asking and answering questions. And whenever they saw him, the Bible tells us that Mary kind of chided Jesus. Luke chapter 2 verse 48. She said, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Why have you done this? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. You've put us through the ringer today. We're so worried about you. Why did you do that? That's in modern parlance. And notice he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not, which means did ye not know that I must be about my father's business? She said, Thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Jesus reminds her, Joseph's not my father. I'm doing the business of my father in heaven. You might say, What insolence. Is this, is this not the Lord showing rebellion? No, no. Because we read on. They understood not the saying which he spake unto them, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. She remembered what Jesus said. But note, he was subject unto them. He came under their authority. He was a child in their home. And he obeyed them. This is God's pattern of obedience. Even the Lord Jesus himself, who, like everything else in life, he sets the example. We sing at Christmas time that lovely carol, once in royal David's city. In the midst of that it says, does it not, Christian children all must be mild, obedient, good as he. He's our example. And just to emphasize the point of how we look after our parents even in later life. This is when he was 12 years old. How about when he was on the cross? He was about 33 at the time. 
I don't know what age that made Mary, but presumably, if she'd been in her early 20s, she would be now in her, well up in her 50s. And Jesus is hanging on the cross. And John chapter 19 brings the scene before us. And it tells us there, verse 26 and verse 27 of John 19. Well, let's get the previous verse as well. Verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, there's Mary, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene, three Marys. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, and that was the author of this gospel, John the Beloved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, Behold thy son. See, from now on, he's your son. Then saith he to the disciple, verse 27, Behold thy mother. And the Lord Jesus, tenderly and lovingly, is giving his perhaps now widowed mother into the care of John the Beloved. Because the Bible tells us there in that same verse, And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. Why would he do that? Because Joseph has already died. Mary's now living on her own. And the Lord Jesus, even on the cross as he's suffering, he's thinking about his mother and looking after her and taking care of her and providing for her future. Son, behold thy mother. You're going to look after her from now on. It's wonderful to think about God's pattern of obedience. The Lord wants us to be obedient to our parents. But that brings us to the second great thought, which is this. The responsibility of parents concerning their children. This is a two-edged sword, really. It's a two-sided coin. The children are addressed. They have to obey their parents. But the parents have to make sure that the children obey them. This is an important truth. Colossians 3.21 Fathers, and the word could be translated from the Greek parents. It's not just emphasizing the male of the home, it's parents. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. There's a way in which we are to treat our children And Paul fleshes that out further in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. And ye fathers, again it's parents, provoke not your children to wrath, but here's the alternative, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Parents are to command respect and obedience from their children By bringing them up in a loving, caring, and disciplined way. The Bible talks quite a bit about child rearing. One of the things that it says in the Proverbs is in Proverbs 22 verse 6. This was part of our Bible reading tonight. It says there, train up a child in the way he should go. Not the way he wants to go. Not the way that he would go, 
but in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. There's two things I want to point out from this verse. First of all, that word, train up a child. If you look in your authorized version, if you do have a margin in the middle that gives an alternate rendering here from the Hebrew, the word for train is catechize. Catechize a child in the way he should go. This is regular, repetitive teaching. Indeed, the use of questions and answers is one of the most effective ways to train our children. But the idea is inculcating truth within them. Training up a child in the way that he should go. But I said there were two things. Often it is said about this verse, mistakenly, that you have to train children, but they're probably, as the course of things would go in this world, they're probably going to go away from it. They're going to backslide. They're going to get away from your influence. They're going to go out into the world and live in sin. But then someday when they're old, they'll remember what you taught them and they'll come back to it. That's all very nice, but it's not what the verse is saying. Not what it means at all. It's not what it means. What it means is when you train a child up in the way that he should go, he will still be going in that way when he's old and will not depart from it. In other words, he's going to continue in that, in the way in which he was taught. One of the greatest responsibilities of parents is to be an educator, to teach their children. The words of Ephesians 6, 4 deal with that, but bring them up in the fear, nurture, and admonition of the Lord. And that brings us back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, where we're to talk of these things, when thou sittest down, when thou risest up, and so on. A Christian home. My family should be able to look to me and to my wife for spiritual leadership and guidance in our home. Now, I do not believe that the Bible teaches that no one else can teach your children but parents. Because there are plenty of scriptures that I could show you where people were under other teachers. Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. There was a school of the prophets that was held under Elisha. David even said, I have more wisdom than all my teachers. But we have a responsibility to make sure that our children are being taught truth. And we have no business allowing our children to be instructed in the wicked ways of the world. I don't believe it's the will of God for any Christian to allow their children to be sitting in a class where they're going to be taught about Pride Month. Where they're going to be taught that some families have mommy and mommy and some have daddy and daddy. And where they're taught some of the most wicked things that you could ever imagine. That's not the will of God. It isn't. And if that's the case, in a school in which people send their children, they better take them out of it. They better do that. 
And the Lord will help you to make all their arrangements. But notice what the Bible said about Abraham. This is a great testimony, you know, to this man of God. In Genesis chapter 18, in verse 19, the Lord said about Abraham, Listen, for I know him, that he will advise his... No, 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 no. It's not he will advise his children. He will command his children and his household after him. You live in this home, this is how you behave. See, this is how some people are when their children get to a certain age where they are, quote-unquote, adults. And they think, well, they're not adults, they can do their own thing. No, not under your roof they can't. Not under your roof. And I've spoken to parents in the past who have had that very dilemma that they faced. What am I going to do? My son wants to do this, that and the other thing, but we run a Christian home. What are we going to do? Well, what you're going to do is tell him, desist from this behaviour, do not have this in my home. If you do, you're going to have to find some other arrangements. And that's hard. But it's what God expects, that we command our children and our household after us to do what? And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. The parent is to be an educator to teach the children. He's to be an exhorter to train the children. The word nurture is used here. The, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The word nurture is a Greek word that refers to chastening and discipline. And if you read the book of Proverbs, you'll see that it is the teaching of a father to his son. You may or may not know that the word son, translated in English, son, the word ben, or my son, sometimes you have the personal pronoun attached to it, son or my son, you know it's found about 40 times in the Proverbs. My mother used to tell me, son, she used that term as well, son, read the Proverbs. Because the Proverbs are counsel and training for young men. There's all kinds of warnings to young men in the Proverbs. But you also have references in the Proverbs to godly discipline and loving chastisement. Yes, it mentions the rod. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. The Lord actually says, Thou shalt beat him, and he shall not die. It's not going to kill him. I remember some of the licks that I got when I was little. I didn't like it. It didn't kill me. didn't do me any permanent injury. It was discipline. It was for my good. The rod and reproof give wisdom, God says. The rod and reproof. And the Lord himself sets the example for all Christian parents. You read Hebrews chapter 12 and what he says about chastisement. He said, we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Discipline. No chastening for the present seemed to, seemed to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. Revelation 3.19 As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. I don't think our children ever thought they were not loved because they got a little bit of a, a smack for doing something wrong. 
One of them in particular, and I'll not identify her, used to know that sound of the, of the drawer in the kitchen when the wooden spoon would come out. You know, most times the wooden spoon didn't even come out because the sound of that drawer was, oh, oh, mommy, mommy. It's a deterrent, you see. It's a deterrent to bad behavior. That's discipline. Discipline, not abuse. Not abuse. I'm against child abuse. Chastisement, not cruelty. I'm against cruelty. But we must train our children. The word that's used there is train them up. There in Proverbs 22.6, catechize, train up a child. Do you know that that in the Hebrew is a horticultural term? It's interesting that. It actually refers to the bending of a young sapling or a tree. You know how sometimes a, a plant like that would be growing at, at the wrong angle and you, you correct it. You put a post beside it, you put a stick beside it and you, you attach that to it so that that tendency that it has to go this way is corrected and then it grows straight. That's the idea here. You train up a child in the way that he should go. You bend that life in the way that it should go like the stem of a plant to make it grow in the direction that God desires for them. Nurture. And then there's the word admonition that's found there also in these New Testament verses. The admonition of the Lord. It means the instruction of the Lord. We dare not leave our children to do as they want. Haven't you heard this from some parents? Oh, I just, I just let my children find their own way. I, I let them make their own decisions. I can tell you right now, if you do that, they'll make the wrong decisions. More often than not, they'll make the wrong decisions. We're not to leave our children to find their own way. We're to show them the right way. There's a man spoken of in the scripture who was a good man. He was a godly man. He wouldn't have been in the position that, that he was in if he wasn't. His name is Eli. He was the priest of the Lord in the temple when young Samuel was there. And he heard the voice of the Lord speaking to him. But Eli was not a man who did the right thing by his family. And the Lord dealt with Eli and his family because of it. It tells us that the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They were idolaters. They knew not the Lord. And the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, says 1 Samuel 2 and verse 17. For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. But then, the Lord gave a message through Samuel to Eli. And he said concerning Eli, his sons, his sons were vile and he restrained them not. His sons were vile before the Lord, but he restrained them not. 
I don't think Eli was a man who never said anything to his sons. I think he did say something to them. I think he did rebuke them for their sin, but he didn't put a stop to it. See, that's the problem. He didn't put a stop to it. His sons made themselves vile, but he restrained them not. And he should have restrained them. We dare not leave our children to do as they wish. I have great respect, as I should, even as a visitor to this country still, for George Washington, the father of the nation. He was successful, obviously, as a soldier and a leader. But George Washington was a failure as a father. This is what Washington said, and I quote, I am able to govern people, but not able to govern my boys. There's a responsibility that parents have also to be an example to their children, to testify before them. Can I say, do as I do, or just do as I say? If I say to them, do as I do, where is that going to lead my children to? If they were to do as I did, where would they be? Great challenge that, isn't it? Think about the little boy whose father used to leave the house to go to the tavern. And one night it was so very snowy, the snow was deep on the ground and the father left the house as usual to go to the tavern. And he had walked a whole period of maybe half a mile through the snow and he, he was just conscious of a presence and he just thought something nearby, he looked back and he saw that little boy of his putting his little feet into the places where his dad had walked following in dad's footsteps and that man who had been under gospel influence came under conviction because of that And he thought to himself, oh God, I am leading my son to hell. You know, examples better than precept. Because a godly testimony makes way for the teaching. It's always better when children can say, mom and dad live it before us. They live the life. So parents need to be with their youngsters, and I just want to bring this to a close. They need to listen to them, they need to spend time with them. The story was told of a man who used to be gone all the time on business, but he always brought his kids gifts from every business trip. And one day the kids were with him in the room and they said, Daddy, we love the things that you bring us, but we'd rather have you. We'd rather have you. Oh, how we need always to have a relationship with our children. There was a great evangelist in this country called Billy Sunday. So many people brought to Christ, undoubtedly. But by all accounts, he lost his children. He was too busy out converting others and he neglected his own home. One of Billy Sunday's sons died a drunkard. What a shame. We're to be an example to testify before them. Finally, we are to be an encourager to tend to them. A bit like a gardener tending flowers. That's how we should be with our children. Bringing our children up in the fear, nurture and admonition of the Lord. We need to not discourage them. That's what Paul is referring to here. 
when he said that you're not to provoke your children to anger lest they be discouraged. We need to encourage our children. There was a little boy one time who thought his name was Don't. Because that's all he heard from his parents. Don't. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't. So he thought his name was Don't. That's not good. And your children can become resentful. They can become very irritated by the idea that I can't do anything right for a moment and I simply can't do anything right. I'll never be able to please them. You know, there's a story of a mother and she said to one of her children, Would you see what Johnny's doing and tell him not to? Why? Because the poor kid had a reputation. That's no way to deal with our children. We're to deal with our children even as the Lord deals with us. And this I will finish with. Psalm 103. Verse 13, what a beautiful text this is. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. He is our heavenly father. We're his children. And as we've been thinking about the various responsibilities in the home, ultimately may it be our desire to obey the Lord, to be well-pleasing to our Father, which is in heaven. May God help us.